0: What if it rained food? What if earth was a few? What if we had nine lives? What if it could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have bees, if we walked through lives slightly magnetical, it's
1: absurd. Absurd Hypotheticals. Hello everybody and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, a show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. And uh, guys, we're going to do a little bit of pretend today, which I guess is what we do every episode, but this episode is going to be extra pretendy because what we have done is a mythical grab bag where we have each picked a mythical creature and answered the question, what if they were real? So... Chris, I'll let you start off with this one. What is the mythical creature that you picked? So the creature
2: that I picked was the unicorn, the famed unicorn, very popular mythical creature. So I'm gonna start off with just the appearance of a unicorn. You probably already know, but it's a white horse-like body with um, a single horn coming out of its forehead, and
0: that's basically it. Now it's interesting that you say horse-like body because I think the unicorn—it's <laughs> just a horse. Yeah, it is just a horse with a okay. horn. Okay. <laughs> All right then. But the
2: official when I looked it up, the official thing was horse-like. So I got to say Fair that enough. it's official.
0: <laughs>
1: it is it is legally distinct the, th- the th- from information a horse. I copy and pasted from Wikipedia said horse-like. <laughs> because someone is unnecessarily hedging. <laughs> so, I
2: wanted to see what if these are real, but for a long time people actually thought that unicorns were real. So as early as the ancient Greeks so unicorns weren't in like greek mythology but greek writers of natural history wrote about them and they actually believed that they were in india because india was like a a far-off land that was very foreign to them and there's a book titled indica which it translates to on india um is written in the fifth century bc and in that they described the unicorn as wild asses nice (laughs) Like
1: donkeys, not horses. So
2: horse. like Yeah. So it like varies between donkey and horse.
0: (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot less regal than I imagined a unicorn being.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't. It varied depending. I don't know why, but yeah, actually, I think the more traditional one was the donkey, but more modern is, is horse-like. But in this book, they describe them as wild asses with a horn, a cubit and a half in length. A cubit and a half is like around 28 inches And they said the horn was like white, red, and black. It was three colors. And Aristotle actually described a a one horned animal that he called an Indian ass. So presumably he was talking about the unicorn and people's beliefs of the unicorn continued through like the middle ages and the Renaissance. You could find records of the unicorn in bestiaries and even like cookbooks where they were like, this is how you prepare a unicorn. (laughs) And There are biblical, biblical associations with them, too. So the unicorns are depicted in a lot of like religious art and they're associated with the incarnation of of Jesus being born into like flesh and blood. So there are a lot of like paintings of a unicorn like leading to like a baby that's like coming down from the
1: sky and that's supposed to be Jesus. They're Like reverse storks, (laughs) lazy storks. (laughs) I'll bring you to the baby, but I'm not going to bring it to you. Like Yeah, I mean... Get your shit... T- you're going to be a mother. Get your
2: shit in gear. Unicorn can't fly, so what do you expect it to do? <laughs> can't they? <laughs> they cannot. That is not a power of theirs. And then Marco Polo actually had a unicorn sighting, and he described it as, quote, scarcely smaller than elephants. They have the hair of a buffalo and feet like an elephant. They have a single large black horn in the middle of their forehead, they have a head like a wild boar's. They spend their time, in, by preference, wallowing in mud and slime. They're very ugly brutes to look at. And then after that quote, I actually found this on Wikipedia. After this quote, they said the sentence was, it was clear that Marco Polo was describing a rhinoceros. <laughs> 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 so he didn't actually see a unicorn. Apparently, it's just a rhinoceros. But he thought it was a unicorn. <laughs> And eventually people stopped believing in them. And the depiction of unicorns in biblical works, in like biblical religious art, decreased as people realized that unicorns weren't real.
1: Well, maybe Marco Polo went back and was just like, hey, guys, all these unicorns that are like all over these religious paintings, I saw one. They're just big, ugly rhinoceros type <laughs> things. <laughs> we should stop putting them in our paintings. <laughs> like, Yeah, Marco Polo's realization was, was, oh, I thought that was a unicorn. It's a rhinoceros. It's oh, this is what people were referring to when they say unicorn and it's ugly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So obviously they're not real, but I'm, I want to look at what if they were real. I went, And I was specifically wondering about like unicorn powers because I thought they would have like a lot of powers related to the rainbow and stuff maybe. Surprisingly, all my research had nothing to do with the rainbow at all. Rainbow was not mentioned once. <laughs> and they don't actually have that many powers or abilities that I could find at all. But the one thing that they do have is that their horn has healing effects, so it can like purify water, it can neutralize poison um it could just be used as like a medicinal thing for healing and in the past when when people actually believed that unicorns did exist, there were fake unicorn horns that were like sold and stuff um and they used narwhal tusks as as a main a main thing that they would use to fake this the unicorn horn so they'd like crush up uh narwhal's tusks and like sell them as a powder that you could put in water and that's supposed well, to you cure crush it water. up that seems like
1: a waste of effort <laughs> if you're faking it anyway you can just grab some like chalk <laughs> limestone
2: <I> guess, maybe <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't know exactly how they sold it maybe they sold it as a whole thing and the people crushed it up i don't know
1: Maybe it was a display of crushing the horn, it's like, here's the ho- here's the OG horn, and now I'm crushing it for you right here at our at our cool little stand. Like a table-side crushing of the horn. <laughs> I still feel like it would be easier to just, like,
0: you know, carve some quartz or whatever into a, you know, horn shape and say it's a horn. I don't know, like...
2: I mean, I don't know how difficult it is to find narwhals, but maybe it's not that hard. I mean, I never found one. And the fact that they use the narwhal tusk is actually... The reason why we have the modern depiction of the unicorn horn is like the just a pretty straight, long white horn, rather than the white, red, and black horn that I described earlier, is because people thought narwhal horns were unicorn horns, and sometimes they would make like cups out of uh, like walrus tusks and pass those off as unicorn horns as well, and it was believed that if you drank it of uh, like a a unicorn cup, then it would like protect you from being poisoned. So a lot of royalty used unicorn cups, unicorn horn cups. So it was very valuable, very high demand. Um, so obviously, if they were real, then this value would carry on, and they would also be in high demand, especially like specifically in the medical field. They'd be very sought after. So how would people find these, or how how would people capture these unicorns to get their horns? It might not be that easy. So a unicorn is basically like the symbol of purity and their behavior reflects that. So they would flee from just like normal humans because in theory, people sin. So they're not pure. So they would rather die than be captured by an impure human. So they're like, it was believed that they would like run off a cliff before they die, before they uh, get captured by a human. So they're
1: really easy to capture. <laughs>
2: because they killed themselves. Sure. I don't know.
1: <laughs> so I guess
2: that story doesn't really hold up. But the idea is that they're, hard, they're difficult to capture. They'll run away from you. There is a way to capture them. The only way to capture them is to use a virgin. Because virgin is like the symbol of purity. So, And they like that. So they'll be like attracted to virgins. And there's an entry in Leonardo da Vinci's notebook. One of Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks. It says, quote, The unicorn, through its intemperance and not knowing how to control itself, for the love it bears to fair maidens, forgets its ferocity and wildness, and laying aside all fear, it will go up to a seated damsel and go to sleep in her lap, and thus the hunter takes it. So apparently Leonardo da Vinci believed in unicorns, but he thought that virgins were the way to capture them. Um, He's a smart guy. (laughs) (laughs) He also believed a lot of things, so maybe we should take that one with a grain of salt a little bit. I don't know. And you had a whole episode where you talked up Leonardo da Vinci and had like, yeah, because
1: he's, of his, yeah, you literally abandoned awesome, another like, question so that you could talk about Leonardo da Vinci for like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes.
0: Okay. I am a Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci fan. I will also admit that the dude was maybe a little bit crazy. <laughs> so you don't believe in this
2: unicorn thing that he that he clearly believed in. I do not. Hmm, okay. Well, if they were real, then he believes it and I, I i believe it would be true too if, if they were real i think the only way to capture them would be with virgins and they would be very sought after so that's how we would capture unicorns we would need virgins we can't use children because obviously child labor laws and we don't want to like exploit children there are more negative moral implications there
1: you know i think you might be able to convince some younger girls to go on a unicorn hunt
2: Again, that would be exploiting children. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, there was like, I guess there's an implication that it's female virgins, but they never, at least in the sources that I said, they never explicitly said female virgins. So we can include others, too, other virgins. Why not? So we can't use children. So basically, if unicorns are real, I think like being a virgin would be a lifelong business decision because there's so much money in it. You can sell the unicorn horns to the medical field, and they're very high in demand. And as soon as you lose your virgin, as soon as you lose your virginity, your business dies. So you can't really you have to sustain your virginity, I guess, throughout your entire life if you want to keep it going. And virgins would just be very high status and be very valuable in society. So that's how you capture unicorns. But where can you find unicorns, like, in order to capture them? So when I think of a unicorn, I think of it like frolicking in like a forested area or something like that. That might not necessarily be accurate, though. So the Great Britain coat of arms has an image of a lion and a unicorn on it. And there's a reason there's a reason behind that. So the Kingdom of England and their monarchy, like way back when, their coat of arms just had a lion on it. And then later, the Kingdom of Scotland and their monarchy, they chose a unicorn to put on their coat of arms because England had the lion on theirs. And the unicorn is according to the folklore is the natural enemy of the lion. And they have like this whole rivalry going on where they're like fight for a crown. Could it still be that
1: they're referring to rhinoceroses? (laughs) Uh,
2: Maybe they're in the same area. I don't know. (laughs) And there's a whole nursery rhyme uh, reflecting this rivalry. It's called the lion and the unicorn. It goes, the lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown, the lion beat the unicorn all around the town, some gave them white bread, some gave them brown, some gave them plum cake, and drummed them out of town. So that's just reflecting the fight between the two creatures. And this rhyme was expanded upon in Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, which is the sequel to Alice in Wonderland. And in that The lion and the unicorn are also fighting over a crown. So it's a recurring rivalry that has continued to be a thing. So the unicorn became Scotland's national animal, even though it's not real. It is actually their national animal. Um, And they have apparently they have unicorns all over the place. If you go to Scotland, like statues of unicorns, which I didn't know, but it's kind of cool. And in 1707, the acts of union merged the two monarchies, England and Scotland into one That was the formation of Great Britain. And that's why the coat of arms has the lion and the unicorn on it. So that's all based on this rivalry between the lion and the unicorn. And in order for this rivalry to form, in order for the the unicorn and the lion to be enemies, they have to be in the same place. They're not going to be enemies if they never see each other. So the unicorn will be in sub-Saharan Africa because that's where lions are. So if unicorns are real, we would send our virgins to Africa.
0: Ben, what do you do? (laughs) that's that's it's very good very good ending point (laughs) i like your i like i like how you ended it before we were able to say anything else about (laughs) it was it was a strong move so i covered leprechauns what if leprechauns were real so i've I've actually sort of covered leprechauns before but specifically only you know serial mascot leprechauns so we're getting into actual actual leprechaun mythology here everyone has kind of a rough idea of what a, a leprechaun is we you're probably seeing your head is a little like two to three foot tall, you know, Irish looking fairy type dude dressed in green uh, with a pot of gold. I always picture the the horror version of it with those horror movies. Why? Why is that the first thing you picture?
1: And then I picture Lucky the Leprechaun from okay. Lucky Charms after that. Well, ignoring your brain's little tangent there. Yeah, <laughs> we're on the same page.
0: Yeah. So. All right, then. Fun fact, just sort of sort of little thing before i i move on apparently it's only somewhat recently that leprechauns have been sort of seen as wearing green for most of you know the the mythology of leprechauns they actually wore red no one's sure exactly why i switched to green it's probably just because green is like the irish color Uh, that's not anyone can really assume now people, people say green so we're gonna roll with green whatever it's fine leprechauns are cobblers actually they make shoes I thought I was going to have some fun with that, but then it turns out they only make shoes for fairies. So that's not that helpful to us, is it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> what if fairies are real?
0: I mean, technically they are fairies, so they just make shoes for each other, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, sort of the 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 big thing with leprechauns, obviously, is going to be the pot of gold. Um, and sort of the way that works, you know, people talk about the, the rainbow thing. But really, it's actually not – it's not just like go to the end of a rainbow and you'll find a leprechaun and pot of gold. It's actually, you have to catch Leprechaun. If you let it out of your sight, it will sneak away, even if you're, like, holding it. it just, like, poofs away, apparently, or something. But if you, like, hold on to it and don't let it out of your sight, even for a second, and apparently you have to, like, make it fear for its life, maybe, like, rough it up a little bit. I don't know. It's kind of weird. All right. (laughs) Okay. But if you do that, it will, will, depending on the myth, either give you three wishes. Um, I saw that one a couple times. Or it will take you to its pot of gold. So you can't like you can't like blink or anything, or else it'll disappear. That's really what it sounds like. You have to like maintain firm eye contact. It's like the reverse
1: of a weeping angel from Doctor Who. <laughs> kind where of if yeah. you look, it can only move when you're not looking at it. Right, yeah. But it runs away from you instead of kills you? I forget what those angels do. It's not good. They probably kill you. I don't remember They either. teleport you back in time, which is effectively killing you by their those means.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. So. I decided to go more with the pot of gold idea because I think that's the more iconic one. And if I went with the wishes one, that just opens up a whole whole bunch of candle worms. So we're gonna go with the pot of gold idea. And finally, leprechauns are only in Ireland. That one was sort of standard. It's just an Irish thing. They're in Ireland, and that's it. So, if you want to get leprechaun, you gotta go to Ireland. One problem is that actually in the EU, leprechauns are a protected species. What? <laughs> <laughs> so don't just say that like it's like oh
1: yeah that's a fact
0: no it is so in 2009 the european union made this mountain in ireland a leprechaun preserve and it's protected by the eu habitat directive this is this is a this is a true fact that i am not making up (laughs) i feel like i should give some background on this uh and there are some fun leprechaun stories involved with that so it starts in 89 or 1989 where there's this guy pj o'hare who was tending to his garden? And he heard the scream from the the nearby Foy Mountain in the Moor Mountain Range. He rushed up to this up over you know over there, and he found scorched earth and charred bones surrounded by a green suit hat and several other items. They were all very small, including the skeletal remains. And he also found four gold coins. Oh my! So what he then did, of course, is put those in the glass box in the puppy owned, which they apparently still are there. And I have a picture. Hold on. I'm gonna send you guys a picture.
1: I like. And I like how you're like presented. Like, and I have a picture. Like, it's gonna pop up in everybody's virtual podcast player.
0: It's not. It's not. I freely admit this. Why can't I hold on? Wait. Okay. Eventually, in
2: the future, and we can send them images through brainwaves. We'll do it.
0: It's
1: called a video. It goes on YouTube.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not actually gonna put it in the video version. Yeah. That's <laughs> don't fine. expect that from me.
0: Quick, keep keep talking because now now, oh, man. All right. We don't need on. to keep talking. We can just edit it out. Yeah, you know, just edit it out. All right, here it is. So this is a picture of, of these leprechaun remains. Um, you guys can make be a judge of it. I'm not entirely buying it. I think this guy owned a pub and wanted to drum up some business. But
1: let's say it's true. <laughs> Those um so I'm looking at the bones that you have presented to me as the leprechaun bones, and those are not the right bones no, for those they're places. Not. And it's I, not, no. And I am not a bone doctor, but I but I can tell you that's not what shoulders look like. Those right. are the, like
0: the shoulders are particularly like like, <laughs> they
1: have unless, like spike flares. Unless
0: yeah, unless unless leprechauns evolve as linebackers, I don't think that's actually their skeleton. Bone doctor, is that a thing?
1: Yeah absolutely yes yeah, they have on. a better name a that's...
0: for it <laughs> um moving on it's not skeleton i'm gonna go ahead and put that <laughs> out there we
1: we all know you were joking
0: yes okay so this guy pj o'hare he eventually he he did a lot of other leprechaun related stuff eventually dies whatever one of his friends this guy named kevin woods but who was known locally as McCoilty McCoilty. i'm not gonna say this right i'm sure it's it's like you know not pronounceable by people not in ireland i don't know anyway he was a skeptic until one day he was walking his dog and up in the mountains and he saw three leprechauns stay on a rock and they didn't notice him and he and his dog were paralyzed and couldn't move couldn't look away anything until eventually they disappeared under the rock and when he came home his wife was like interrogating where he was and he he said he'd only been gone for like an hour and a half and then she told him he'd been gone for over seven hours and that it was like midday when he left and now it was eight o'clock and after that, he was a firm believer in leprechauns. Now, clearly, this guy just went to the pub and got drunk. Yeah, I was and, say, like, <laughs> and then saw a rhinoceros. <laughs> yeah, I saw three leprechauns, and I drank them all. <laughs> I, I also like the idea that he left at midday, and then apparently got home in his story at eight o'clock, and didn't realize that it was now. I'm assuming dark.
1: <laughs> it can st- it, it can stay light. Ireland's pretty up north. If it's summertime, it can stay light to like ten. All right. Fair.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's pretty up north. Fine. So so I I guess the story's not that ridiculous then, guys. <laughs> yeah.
2: He could have seen three leprechauns.
0: It passes the sniff test. Yeah. So, so anyway, he, he had apparently several other encounters with leprechauns. The important one, for for our purposes really, is that he met a leprechaun called, it looks like it's just Craig, pronounced weirdly, Craig? I don't know. <laughs> C-A-R-R-I-A-G. Craig, Car- Car- Craig, it's Car-
2: Carig? Carig?
0: sure i don't know <laughs> <laughs> who claimed to be the elder of a group of 236 leprechauns who lived in that mountain that foy mountain um and he said that they were the last of their kind there used to be millions of them on the island but um they all died out because people would stop believing in them like santa pretty much yeah wait santa's not dead <laughs> wait <laughs> there used to be millions of santas <laughs> isn't that the premise of the tim allen santa claus <laughs> No, he died because he fell off a roof.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but then if you stop believing in him, he, like, I don't know, something happens to him. I haven't seen that movie in a long
0: time. Uh, Wait, are you thinking of Elf? Maybe it's Elf you're thinking of. Maybe Elf is the one where they have to, like, like make the sled fly by making him believe again. I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, pretty much every Santa Claus movie involves that premise. So. (laughs)
0: Anyway, McColdy talks to Craig (laughs) and decides that he has to do something about this. And he gets all these lobbyists together and lobbies the EU and eventually gets them as a protected species. So that, that is a thing that happened. Which actually leaves us in a, a predicament. Well not really a predicament, but this isn't gonna go the way you think it does, because although I couldn't actually find any like penalties for violating this EU Habitats Directive, I imagine they are harsh. I don't know. They're enforceable, I'm sure. So I would imagine that it's not going to be, you know, actually all that simple to get a pot of gold from a leprechaun. So then I started wondering. So if there are apparently 236 leprechauns, how much are they actually worth, right? Because they all have a pot of gold, right? So leprechauns are around three feet tall. That's what I kept sort of seeing pop up. I looked at a lot of like leprechaun pictures and stuff. (laughs) Uh, And stuff? I I don't know. I just like Googled leprechauns and looked at pictures. I don't know. Anyway, so then I turned Safe Search off. (laughs) Was roughly. I did not do that. um roughly like a third to half their height for simplicity i'm going to say the pot of gold is just like a one foot sphere of like actual gold containing volume which would be you know a third of their height i think that gives us enough wiggle room that it should be you know roughly accurate Um, so the volume of a sphere is four thirds times pi r cubed Um, so given that one foot radius we're going to have a 4.19 cubic foot you know volume of gold Gold weighs 19.32 grams per cubic centimeter. So it did all conversions. And I assumed that like 10% of that volume was lost to just, you know, space between coins and stuff like that. Because they don't, it's not going to, you know, completely fill it. And I wound up with this pot of gold containing uh, 1,085 pounds of gold, which based on at least prices today, as I researched this, would give a worth per pot of gold of $30,137,233. Which means the collected wealth of those two hundred thirty-six surviving leprechauns would be a little over seven billion dollars, which is a That's lot. Pretty high. It's you know it's not like Jeff Bezos' money, but it's 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 up there. It's pretty good, all things considered. <laughs> I was actually going to bring up Jeff Bezos when you when you asked how much is a leprechaun worth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did I did not I did not do the Jeff Bezos calculation and see how much that leprechaun is then worth. Program. I did, <laughs> I did not go through with that. <laughs> But, uh, so I think leprechauns are actually, they're actually pretty safe because of this, this, you know, environmental protection they have. So I don't think they have to really worry about getting nabbed that much anymore because, you know, because of this. So, so really they're just kind of living large. And honestly, I think what they should do is invest, right? And really I see only two, two correct investments for them to make. Um, one is to buy a shoe company that seems appropriate, you know, to, to go with their, their storied history. It was pretty hard to figure out how much a shoe company would cost i couldn't i guess you know in general i did find out that the total assets of Skechers is a little under five billion dollars so i'd like to think they could work out a deal i don't know
1: work <laughs> out buy sketchers yeah just buy
0: Skechers. <laughs> done boom now you own a shoe company knock yourselves out guys For,
1: just, as a point of comparison i just i just checked seven billion dollars is two percent of ireland's gdp yeah it's not that much actually. Oh
0: well. Um well, they could own two percent of Ireland. That's, that's how GDP not bad. works. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Nike's total assets are thirty-one billion. Yeah, Nike. I I wanted to go to Nike first because it's like the name, but it's obviously way too. We're going to be way too extensive. Yeah. <laughs> and the other the other option I saw was to reclaim some of their you know iconography and just buy the Boston Celtics uh, with an estimated value of three point one billion dollars. So that one I think is is actually pretty pretty reasonable for them. So I like that idea to actually put the Celtics in the hands of leprechauns. It's only appropriate, in my opinion. The one, the one wrinkle uh, they could run into is that apparently, the the thought is that the Leprechaun's gold is actually gold that was left by Danish raiders back in the Middle Ages. So it's possible that the Danes could come after the gold as like a historical artifact and try to reclaim it, uh, which could get you know into sort of an awkward legal battle. But assuming that doesn't happen, I think that really the best option is for them to buy either Skechers or the Boston Celtics.
1: Do you think if leprechauns owned the Celtics, would they be the good guy or the bad guy in the sports movie?
0: Ooh, that's a good question.
1: Is it like they are a bunch of lovable scamp- like scamps that are kind of misfits that kind of get this team going and are, you know, trying to make it in the big leagues, mm-hmm. or is it that you know, you have the underdog team that, you know, got their one chance at the finals, and then they find out halfway through the movie that the reason the Celtics are so good is because they have Magic Leprechaun. Right, managers. the Magic <laughs>
0: Leprechauns thing seems like a pretty, you know, competitive balance issue, honestly.
1: See, I'm, I am still have the the
2: evil horror version of Leprechauns in my head, so they would definitely be the villain. <laughs>
0: What if they owned a shoe company? Would you buy those shoes, Chris? (laughs) I I,
2: I imagine them with like a conniving look on their face, like yes.
1: So if the leprechauns were real, the Celtics are evil. I imagine them as like
2: a Mr. Burns situation.
0: (laughs) Okay,
1: I guess I can see that. Anyway, that's what I got, Marcus. What did you do? So true to form, I have done what if phoenixes were real, and this one was surprisingly tricky, actually. Because when you get down to practical applications, um, the phoenix is basically just a bird. So, as far as abilities go, I'll start with the consistent abilities that, you know, through the... Because phoenixes actually go back pretty far, myth-wise, folklore-wise, and there's a bunch of different versions of them. So, as far as consistent abilities go, the main one, obviously, is immortality. You know, quote-unquote. When a phoenix dies, it bursts into flame and is reborn from the ashes, and... Weirdly, there's actually pretty strong consensus on the lifespan of a phoenix being somewhere around 500 years before it you know bursts into flames and comes back and lives for another 500 years so i guess they just kind of picked an arbitrary time frame there so that is the end of our consistent abilities um <laughs> <and then it's laughs> moving on to inconsistent abilities that are in i've seen in some places but isn't in everywhere um i'll say as a general note that almost like i'd say at least a good half of the legend literally is just. bird that never dies and has no other abilities but stuff that's inconsistent um the size the size ranges i've seen size ranges from eagle to ostrich to house size for a phoenix i always imagine a phoenix has like dragon
0: size for some reason really i don't know why i'm on eagle size i
1: imagine more the harry potter one in my mind they're they're bigger than like a regular bird but definitely not dragon size the second inconsistent thing here um, I guess I'll say it really. Does, it doesn't really affect my answer too much, but I, I imagine it like big eagle size is how I imagine it. Like maybe like four foot bird or something. Um, the second inconsistent factor uh, is the on fireness. Most versions of the phoenix are actually just really you know they just have simply brightly colored feathers, but some are just on fire all the time. The phoenix being on fire is actually more of like a modern interpretation where it kind of got mixed with the the Slavic firebird myths and it kind of just got combined into. You know, the bird that's on fire with the bird that ignites itself to be reborn. They kind of combine those legends into the one, you know, more modern day phoenix, I guess. And then kind of digging for other uh, different ones, you know. Strength, like if you look at the, if you look at Fox, the Dumbledore's bird in the Harry Potter series. He apparently had super strength and was, there's a scene where he carries Harry, Ron, Hermione and that Lockhart guy and flies them out of the Chamber of Secrets, which was kind of a, is pretty, a pretty big pull for a bird. (laughs) Literally, so I, I didn't, I didn't consider that one. That one's really, that I just found it funny that he carried four people. Like, I don't remember that scene, but that's ridiculous. That's like a small
0: phoenix too, right? Yeah, that was like, that was like a definitely like parrot sized phoenix.
1: Yeah, no, he was like a three or four footer. He Was he, was was he like, really? Yeah, he was fairly good, fairly okay. decent sized. And then one that actually is somewhat more consistent is healing abilities. So the one from Harry Potter has healing tears where he could drop his tears on, you know, horrible wounds that were infected and that would heal it. But it is semi-consistent with other legends of the phoenix, Um, a lot of them are like, oh, if you are, you know, with the phoenix and of pure heart, you know, you can, it can heal you, or, you know, using the phoenix can have uh, reincarnation properties, stuff like that. It was all really inconsistent, like, none of it was in more than, like, a third or a quarter of the different phoenix legends I was looking at. So, really, the only consistent thing going for it is that it's immortal... And it makes a small fire when it dies every 500 years. Hmm. So my plan is to focus more on the immortality part. And so how do you abuse that? Naturally, I decide to look into whether I could get a phoenix into a lifetime political appointment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 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 All right, then. I, to- I warned you guys I had died. This one goes a little off the rails. I didn't believe you, and now I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a good way to segue. I don't even have a good way to segue into this. This is just where my brain went. So let's start... In the U.S., because this is really what what triggered you know this thought, um, because there are already animals serving in political roles in the United States. For example, Stubbs the cat is the or was the mayor of an Alaskan town of Talkeetna for 20 years, which both is impressive that you just had a cat for a mayor for 20 years, and also impressive that the cat lived for 20 years. Amazingly, Stubbs was even part of a writing campaign for the U.S. Senate race in Alaska. I mean, it was write them in as a protest to the other crap that the other candidates stink. But there were, you know, votes cast for a cat for U.S. Senate. People like cats. And there's plenty more examples of non-human, you know, elected officials, like almost exclusively mayors, lots of dogs, horses. Um, oh, I, I forgot to write it down. There was one. It was like a product from a company. Like it was like a <laughs> like a powder or something just got put on the ballot. And like, it's the mayor of something. It's wild. <laughs> Um, But a lot of small towns with with joke dogs and horses and stuff for mayors. But that's thinking pretty small. Could it run for president? So there are three requirements to run for president, which feels like a very small number of requirements. You got to be a natural born citizen, be at least 35 years of age and be a U.S. resident for 14 years. Now, being 35 years old and being in the U.S. for 14 years are not a problem. But I haven't found a mechanism for making a non-human a citizen. Though I did find a couple papers talking about the pros and cons of granting domesticated animals citizenship, naturally, um, as a way of, like, protecting their rights. And they were kind of trying to use some obscure definitions of citizen to justify making all animals citizens, which I thought was kind of interesting, but kind of far-fetched. Plus, even if we could become the president, um, that's, that's going to be limited to an eight-year term. Though, technically... If you did become president, a phoenix could then, you know, quote unquote, die and be reborn. And I think legally the new phoenix could then be president again because it's now, you know, it's a newborn phoenix. So according to the lore, is it the same phoenix or is it different phoenix when when it's reborn? So it's die, it dies and is reborn as an egg. So it's like a, I I consider it like asexual reproduction where it's like budding, but fire ear.
2: Okay. So it's a different phoenix.
1: But then, yeah, but even if you are reborn... The problem is you would no longer be thirty-five years old, so you wouldn't be eligible to run again after those eight years. You'd have to wait. But you could get close again if you set up the system because you could then you could be named the speaker of the House of Representatives because that has no specific requirements besides getting voted in by the House of Representatives. So theoretically, if you had enough political sway, you could be president for eight years, burn up, get elected to the House of Representatives, have your party's president and vice president resign, and then resume. <laughs> be acting president for, you know, eight years after that and kind of rinse and repeat. But speaking of no requirements, the lifetime appointment in the U.S. that everyone's probably been shouting at me from their car or, you know, couch or they listen to this podcast is Supreme, the Supreme Court. And this is actually a viable option because A, it's a lifetime appointment, and B, has literally zero prerequisites. There is no bar for who can be a Supreme Court justice. But I don't think it's really realistic that you would be able to convince enough people to nominate and then, you know, get through the the nomination process to get to confirm a bird as, you know, a justice. Plus, it does run into the, the scenario where it will bur- it will eventually die and then it loses its status and will have to go through the whole thing again. So that's not even permanent. It's only good for 500 years and pff, barely any time at all. So what we really need is a dumber system of government if we're really going to make some progress. So let's hop across the pond and look at monarchies, specifically Britain. So can we take our bird and make him the Phoenix King of England? Usurp the unicorn? Yeah, usurp usurp the unicorn off the the coat of arms, had that burn up. (laughs) So step one is by far the trickiest. We need to get the Phoenix into the line of succession. The line of succession in England has lots of funky rules in it, but is basically on the simplest level through the sovereign's children. So basically... Whoever's ruling, their kids, in whatever order, and if they're childless, it's basically one move, you know, over to, you know, cousin siblings, whatever they decide going on from there. So, since the phoenix is clearly not anybody's child, the only way into the succession is through marriage. So, you'll have to convince someone in the royal family to marry the phoenix. Obviously, this is tough, but I'm thinking... Maybe if you frame it as some kind of, like, protest or political statement, you could convince them to do it. I don't really follow the, the royals, but I hear there's drama. <laughs> like, when I wrote the sentence, I'm like, okay, we're just going to have to take this one at Fates Valley. But as I wrote I'm like, maybe it's not so impossible. There is only ever one Phoenix, so it would be pretty prestigious to be married to it. And a side note, there are, if you, they don't keep a 100% official line of succession of, you know, who's eligible. Like, they they have the first bunch, and then they trail from there, because apparently there's 5,700 people who are technically part of the succession line. So let's assume, as, you know, absurdly hypothetically, that you can get that done, that you can convince one of the royals to want to marry the phoenix. There are two problems that come up. Uh, The first is that it's illegal for someone to marry a pet in England. And the second is that the marriages in the line of succession need to be approved by the sovereign, which I imagine would not happen generally. So let's tackle problem number number one with not being allowed to get married. While the UK does not allow animal marriages, they have happened in other countries. So, for example, in Bali in 2010, there was a story that went viral of an 18-year-old Balinese man named Ingura Alit, who was found having, I quote, sexual intercourse with the cow butt, who he claimed flirted with him. As part of a Pequaran ritual, the man was forced to marry the animal. The ceremony was thought to cleanse the village of the immoral act of bestiality. It then proceeded to, the cow was then drowned in the ocean, while Elite was symbolically drowned as well. Now, I had this issue a couple weeks ago too, where they just add the word symbolically in there, which makes me really confused if they... Did like some weird ceremony or just like drowned him, in which case he didn't get symbolically drowned. They just <laughs> right. got rid of him. They splashed water on him. You've been drowned. Yeah. Now, I am not suggesting we do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> I am not condoning having um, sex with our phoenix, but this is more to show the to share a funny story and so that and show that it is legal in some places. So if you're officially married, It turns out England does honor foreign marriages as long as they meet the following criteria. One, the marriage is recognized as legal in its original country. Each party has the capacity to marry under the laws of the country they are living in as the marriage happened. This would involve convincing your target royal to move for a bit, but that can be done. Uh, And any previous marriage must be properly terminated, which wouldn't be a problem if you're marrying someone who's single. So what you can do is you can go to a different country, marry the phoenix, then move back to England. The second problem of the marriage is is that they need approval from the sovereign. But it does have a loophole in there. Namely, this standard only applies to the first six candidates in the line of succession. After that, they don't really care anymore. You can marry whoever. So looking through the line of succession, our closest unmarried target to the throne is um, Prince Andrew, Duke of York, who was eighth in line. And you may remember hearing about in the news... For uh, being part of Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking scandal. Uh, So he has, you know, since recused himself from all public appearances. All that said, that maybe makes him the perfect fit for this plan? (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, your target's going to be Prince Andrew, because he's the closest. Because the last step is that we then have to go from our spot, you know, theoretically 8th in line, to heir apparent. Which, I'll just say... I'll euphemize. Uh, use a euphemism here. It'll probably involve some Shakespeare-level shenanigans right. <laughs> to go from uh, <laughs> from eighth to first, and after that, you're in because now you're locked in. Because one, you don't have to worry about any competition. Because if you are the sovereign, you don't have to worry about it's a lifetime point one. And two, you don't have to worry about other kids getting in the way. The only thing that can happen is that your phoenix has you know re- re- you know is reborn again, and that. New Phoenix is the heir apparent every time. And even if something happens to that Phoenix, its kid is the next heir apparent. So no matter what, once you get in there and you just have one generation of Phoenix sovereignty, you are then forever the Phoenix King of England, and they can happily reign for all eternity. So does is the Phoenix doing this all on its own accord in this situation? So I think your it's like your phoenix that you're helping along until it kind of locks in. What's in it for you? You get to mess with England real hard. It's a very good prank. <laughs> True. <laughs> good point. And, you know, on a long enough time scale, it's bound to happen eventually, right? If not me. Sure. <laughs> then the next person who thinks someone of, who, think who listens it. to this podcast and concocts this theme. Because this is now in the digital space. This is forever, this podcast. So someone someday will be friends with the Phoenix and listen to this podcast and have an in to the 8th succession to the line of England, and things are just going to go bonkers from there. And uh, with that, (laughs) let's move on to our would-you-rather question, because I don't know if anything else more needs to be said about that answer. (laughs) Ben, are you ready for a would-you-rather? Sure. Would you rather have extra wide feet or super narrow feet? How, How wide and how narrow are we talking about? Let's say it's a, like on the, the, the more extreme side, like half as wide or twice as wide. You're outside the normal foot dimensions.
2: I'm looking at my feet. So Twice as wide would basically be like your foot is a square.
0: Pretty much, yeah.
2: I think it'd be pretty hard to walk with narrow feet.
0: Yeah, but I also think your feet would be quite heavy if they were twice as wide. I mean, it makes you more stable, though. It does make you more stable. It's like eighty, eighty feet. Um, I'm just looking at my feet now. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, I'm sorry, I groups. made you do something
1: you were uncomfortable with. Ben. <laughs> this podcast is a safe space. If you need to talk to a representative, um, I guess I'm the host, so that's me. Do you... Would you have the same amount of toes in both situations? Okay,
0: that is the exact same question I was about to ask. <laughs>
1: uh, let's say you have the most normal number of toes for the situation. Wait, wait, that what does that, that mean? That doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> so Do you have
2: wider toes as well or do you just have more toes or do you have less toes and thinner or thinner toes?
0: Like, are, are you saying that like the narrow foot has three normal size toes and the wide foot has 10
1: normal size toes or something? Is that better than five narrow and five wide toes? I don't know.
2: I think I prefer having more toes.
1: I want whichever one's better.
2: <laughs> I prefer having 10
1: toes rather than five wide toes. That's weird. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm
0: seeing both of them. I hate them. I hate them both.
1: I think that's I think this I think having the narrow toes is better than having three toes.
0: I've I've now put my feet together and I'm staring at my one conjoined foot.
2: I mean, I don't see any problem with having 10 toes on one foot. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> do you do you have do you only have one big toe still? Um I would think so. Okay.
1: Here's a consideration. Shoes. You can fairly easily modify a shoe so that your skinny foot fits in it and is, you know, comfortable. It's tough to modify a shoe to make your fat foot fit in it.
0: That's true. I mean, it's
2: it's hard, but it's not impossible. I don't think it'd be that difficult. It'd just be a little more difficult.
0: I mean, you could get custom-made shoes.
1: Or I guess you could look like you have normal feet. Yeah, if narrow. you have
2: narrow that's feet, true. you can pad your, your shoes.
0: If you have a very narrow foot and you wear a padded shoe that is a normal foot sized do you lose the instability issue um i mean you don't have a muscle control right
1: yeah so i think you would be worse i think your balance is going to be like a percentage you know definitely percentage points worse but probably not like 50% worse yeah i mean like i think 20. the padded
2: the padded shoe would help a little but it wouldn't like just make your feet right yeah it's not going to be the same yeah yeah no that makes sense
1: one other thing like comfort wise is just your weight per surface area. Like if you imagine how much pressure is on your foot on your regular feet, it would be twice as much on your narrow feet yeah. or half as much I mean half as much on your big feet. Your big I think your big feet are just clumsy and comfy and your narrow feet are, you know, less comfy but Yeah, you built, built for more beautiful. not just This just a speed. question of whether you would be, whether you would wear heels or flats.
2: <laughs> I don't think you'd be able to stand as long with narrow feet.
1: I agree with that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that seems fair.
1: But I mean, I don't know if, if how long I can stand in one spot is my biggest criteria.
2: Well, I mean stand stand slash walk, I guess. Just in general. If you're on your feet, you're you'll be more fatigued faster.
0: I think like you're gonna have foot issues as well. Just because you're putting a lot more stress on I don't like thinking about this. This is this is
1: my <laughs> <laughs> favorite part of would you rather is just is just hearing Ben squirm.
0: I I why do you always do this? I don't All right. Like okay so I I think for myself I am pretty gonna, gonna be pretty heavily weighted to wide feet just because you're a big runner cuz you're, ha- <laughs> you're married you don't have to try anymore right <laughs> basically <laughs> actually
2: I can't really imagine running with either of these situations yeah I'm
0: not going to run anymore I just that's just I just accepted this it's just not going to happen i to be able to hike with wide feet
1: <laughs> Do you have to run like like a lizard like where your legs are like really flailing outwards while you run Right I mean, you're,
2: double the width isn't that wide. Like, I think you can still have a normal
1: gait. Yeah, I guess.
0: I'm more likely to be able to run with wide feet than narrow feet.
1: So, Ben, you're, you're wide feet. Yeah. Chris, are you wide or narrow feet?
0: I'm thinking wide feet as well, just because it's it'll be less tiring on your feet. I, I think what it comes down to is I feel like wide feet is actually better in everything except the fact that you have really wide feet.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can't hide it and you look weird, but like everything is better.
1: See, like the the you can't hide it. Like you can you can explain away a narrow foot. You can claim a a like oh, I got into an accident or it didn't fully grow. I feel like it's harder to explain giant feet. Hey,
2: right, just say you got wide feet. Like <laughs> it's not something that you have to be ashamed of.
1: And the fact so basically for me, it's the fact that I could hide it in a regular shoe and only the people that I took my shoes off in front of would know I am a narrow-footed person. Your, your
0: deepest shame,
1: <laughs> my deepest shame, would be and not so much. It might not even be so much that it's the shame, but just like having to have that conversation every time you meet somebody new. Like, oh hey, you have giant, sh- you have giant feet. Yes, thank you.
2: I feel like if I had giant feet, I wouldn't feel the need to hide it. Or like, yeah, if you if you're meeting new people, you have to explain it, but then they'll understand after
1: that first time, and I don't think they'll judge you for it. I am less optimistic about other people. So I'm going to go with narrow feed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that does it. Um, Ben and Chris are practical and I am afraid of judgment. Speaking of judgment, I am going to ask you guys to write a review for the podcast because that's super duper helpful for us. Entirely selfish desire. But if you enjoy the show, and you want to see the show grow and you know reach new people and therefore we can spend you know more time doing crazy new things and all that, and you just want to see this whole thing as a as a whole succeed. One of the very best things you can do is to write a review that has all the five stars filled in. No big fat big wide reviews, not little narrow one star reviews. Don't don't put those, that will make me feel bad. But please, 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 wherever you listen to your podcast, anywhere helps. And if you want to help even more. And directly, you can go to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and support us on our Patreon. It's just $1 a month, and you get access to all our behind-the-scenes episodes where we do all sorts of crazy and fun things in a kind of a more laid-back, casual setting. So it's a bit more of our, you know, laid-back banter, you know, no prep stuff. We just kind of talk, enjoy, brainstorm all sorts of good things, talk about how we make the show, et cetera, et cetera. But in any case, whether you do all those things or not, you are welcome to join us next week where we answer the following question. What if life was a video game?